When things are going really bad, you actually need someone you trust. Come on, man. You need someone who's actually going to represent Jesus, who's going to love you more than themselves, and is going to be willing to get into the dirt of something like this and carry it even for a little while with you. Welcome back to the Bible Leadership Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about what ministry leaders and those who are up and coming in leadership can learn from the plethora of very public moral failures that seem to be happening with greater regularity. Before we do that, let me recommend that you subscribe to the BLP. That's what we call the Bible Leadership Podcast. That way we can make sure you get the show notes that go along with each episode. How do you subscribe? You go to BibleLeadership.com and hit the subscribe button and we'll send you the notes with every single release. The Bible Leadership Podcast is for up-and-coming Christian leaders. There are a lot of podcasts that might be more appropriate for senior pastors only, but this podcast was really invented for ministry leaders and those with leadership aspirations. If it's helpful to you, I would invite you to share it with a leader in your life. If you rate it in the iTunes store, that will help increase the exposure and ultimately help a lot more people. Let's dive into today's content, and let me give you some background on why we're talking about this. We seem to be in a time where falls from leadership have never been so public, and the question we're asking is, are there any lessons we can learn from this? My friend, and really my pastor, Scott Chapman, leads a multi-site church called The Chapel in Lake County, Illinois. Scott is an incredible strategic thinker and pastor to other pastors, and as a result, he's found himself in some rooms during some crucial conversations with friends after a leader in their church has fallen, with boards, with staff looking for wisdom and direction. Now, this is really an important issue for right now. What do we do? How do we guard against pitfalls that ultimately lead to moral failures? I've entitled this episode, What Should We Learn From Leaders Who Have a Very Public Moral Failure? Enough intro. Let's dive into part one of my two-part conversation with senior pastor Scott Chapman. What up, everybody? I'm here with Pastor Scott Chapman, and we are so honored to have him here today. So, little secret— Scott is not only a pastor's pastor, but Scott was my first pastor that really gave me an understanding of what awesome godly leadership could look like. So I started attending the chapel in 1997, and I don't know that I can overstate the impact that Scott has had on me. He's helped our church through so many things. I consider Scott to be really my pastor. I'll let anybody pastor me, but Scott is is the guy in my heart that's like, hey, that's that's a guy Jesus uses to shepherd me. So, Scott, we're so pumped to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, man. That that touches me. That really does, Mark. I mean, we go way back. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that. I hear 1997. I can't believe that yeah. because you still look young. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you really do. Um, but, yeah, it's been a long time. I am so proud of Torch, and I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, you've done this well. Uh, you've kept Jesus the main thing, and you have really loved people so well. And I just, man, I, that's it. That's the bump, and that's what you got to do. And Thanks, bro. It's that, so easy to not do that, right? Yeah, yeah, and that means a ton, so thank you. You know, when, when I thought about having Scott on the show, there's so many things that we could talk about because this dude is just a reservoir of God's wisdom. But we talked through some of the things that might be helpful, and it feels like maybe a really relevant topic right now is leadership failure and watching even sometimes really pseudo, you know, kind of Christian famous people take a spill. And and this seems to be more and more prominent. I don't know if it is. We Maybe we're just seeing it more, but it has such a negative impact on the church. So Scott, you've been watching this and you've been invited into certain rooms 
just because of the influence that you have. I want to talk to you about what's going on in the lives of those leaders and the lives of that culture. But let's maybe start with what are we seeing go wrong in the church? Because this definitely has like sometimes just church shattering uh, consequences for people when there's a moral failure. What do you see from your angle? What's going wrong? What What's the damage that's done from oh this? Oh my gosh. It's huge. And Mark, I'll be honest, from my vantage point, and, and other people may speak to this differently, but from my vantage point, I do think we're seeing a lot more of this. Yeah. I don't think it's just, gosh, we kind of know a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. I could name 12 or 14 guys that I personally have been in a relationship that are leading pretty large things that have really taken a spill over the last probably three years. That's a lot. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's just the guys that I'm in relationship with or that I have a relationship from even from a little bit of a distance from. And and I know there's a lot more. I talk to denominational uh, supervisors. One of their biggest things has become managing pastoral misconduct. Yikes. I don't think they would have said that a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that, the damage is inside the church, right? Because like, I think pastors, sometimes we get oblivious to the example we set. We think it's how well we preach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We think it's how well we lead, uh, what we build, these types of things. And those are, those are certainly important. But man, who you are, you don't get to do any of those things without mm-hmm. the who you are. Yeah, yeah. That's your pre- that's, that's your right. tickets right. of entry yeah. right Let's there. Go with you for sure. Yeah. So I mean, I look at that. I think it's also a massive opportunity for our world to point at us and say, honestly, how different are you guys really? I mean, is Jesus that big a deal? Because if Jesus was that big a deal, why does this other stuff seem to tempt you as much as it tempts me? Yeah. And why should I be listening to what you're saying? You're saying you have a whole different way to live with a whole different set of values. I'm not seeing it, man. Yeah. And I just think the damage in that is so widespread. I mean, we live in a city where we've had several of those in the last year. Yeah, yeah, yep. I feel like there's such a, you know, as I talk to Christians, I, I don't know if non-believers are really, I'm sure it's, a, it's certainly from the enemy that he gives them a, a card to, you know, to play of like, wow, you know, look at all you hypocrites. I definitely know how Christians are responding with a, a disappointment, a letdown, a like, like the wind is blowing out of their shoes. Like, are you serious? There's really no heroes. Like, is everyone, is this all a joke? You know, you know what I'm saying? Is there always a dude behind the curtain that, that this is all a trick? What about with regard to just macro? Okay, so we're going to talk micro in a minute. Sure. But macro, like, what do you, what is happening? Is Jesus just spanking his kids? Is he enemy? Is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like is yeah. judgment starting with the house of God? Or, yeah. or are we just being dumber? Or do we have more access to evil? Is celebrity culture continuing to snowball into stupid? Like, I don't know. What are you saying? I do. I, I think all of that is probably true. So I, I think like part of it is celebrity culture has definitely hit the church in a, in a huge way. Yeah. When I first started ministry back in the early 90s, it looks so different than it looks right now. Yeah. And celebrity culture has not only found a home, it has become normal. And it's become what people aspire to. Yeah. Beyond that, though, when we talk about God, I can't fully obviously speak for the Almighty in this, right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think he's doing us a huge favor. Yeah, amen. Because this story doesn't get better with time. This is not a fine wine. Right. It gets better with age, right? Yeah, yeah. This is algae-covered puddle water. And the reality is it gets worse and worse and worse with age. Yeah. And I think he's saying enough is enough. And I don't think any, when you really get into the fabric of these stories, this isn't the first time that God said, hey, I don't think you ought to do that. Yeah. There's been a lot of those moments along yep, the way. Yep, yep. I heard a guy say uh, that Samson took 
57,000 steps towards Gaza, basically away from what God wanted him to do. And he made 57,000 decisions mm. to keep going. Yeah. And I don't think when you end up where a lot of these situations have ended up, that that's a five-step decision or a 10-step decision. Yeah. That, that's a 20,000, 30,000 step For sure. decision. And I think God has just kind of said, listen, I'm done. We don't have a witness anymore. And I don't think God is going to let the church without a witness. Yeah. He's going to take care of that now. Yeah. And he's going to move to something. And I think that's kind of the bright side, right? Because I'm, yeah. I'm watching this happen. And I'm like, well, you know, the only worse thing than that leader having such a spectacle public fall is if it would have remained hidden. Because the sin would have still been there. It right. still would have been cursed of God. Like at least, yeah, it's 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 really painful to, to, to pull it out. Right. But it's better than us not knowing and, and then just missing a power that, that, you know, that could have been there. So let's let's go into these moments. Okay, so... You know, you get a call and, yeah. and you're the kind of guy that's invited into some of these meetings. Hey, something's going wrong. Uh, this is maybe about to be released or just was released or, or this has happened recently. And they want your advice. They want your counsel. Take us into that room. Sure. What is going on? What's the emotional atmosphere? What are the surprises? What is What does Scott have to have his game face on for? Because you're going to hear some things. You're like, oh, my word. And as a pastor, you want to act like that's not quite as shocking as, as it is. What is it like to be in that room and what's going on there? Yeah, and I think first and foremost, most of the time I'm in a room like that because I've been a friend. Yeah. Uh, it's not because I'm famous or not because I like specialize in this type of ministry or something like that. Because yeah. I really yeah. don't want to specialize in this kind of <laughs> ministry at all. I want to do as little of it as actually possible. But I've been a friend. And when you've been friends with people for a long time and you're someone that they trust, when things are going really bad, you actually need someone you trust. Come on, man. You need someone who's actually going to represent Jesus, who's going to love you more than themselves, and is going to be willing to get into the dirt of something like this Ooh. and carry it even for a little while with you. And so those are the types of, that's the reason I, I have sometimes been invited into this. And in that room is normally a lot of fear. The very first thing is, is usually pretty noticeable. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's fearful. Mm. And I think one of the most important things is find out what you're afraid of. Yeah. And it's usually not disappointing God. And part of what I get a chance to do is remind them that there's something they should be way more afraid of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that moment than just what the PR nightmare is going to be or what the financial outlook for them in six months is going to be or what right. the hard decisions they're going to face in the midst of this. Yeah. Those are important to know, but there's a bigger decision than that is how do I walk well with God? And at the end of the day, if you get that one right, there's still going to be some hard things to walk through. Mm -hmm. But you're going to be walking through it with God. Yeah. And his favor and his grace is going to cover you. And so that's how this usually starts. Yeah. Now, you've interacted with a lot of different people we would understand as kind of Christian famous around the country. You've been in some of those rooms. You've been in conversations with those kinds of people. What do you feel like? I mean, it's, it's all blowing up now. Where did it start? What was going wrong in the heart? Why did it, why are they here? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and I mean that on a personal level, like their personal walk. And I mean it on a cultural level. Like what were the support structures that even enabled this to happen? Yeah. I remember, man, this would have been probably 15 years ago. A group of people asked to have dinner with my wife and I. And uh, we said, yeah. And there was a publicist and a publisher and a group of people who basically come together as a group and they promote younger Christian leaders. 
And 15 years ago, I still fit that category. So <laughs> I, was, I was in that. So, and basically, they took about two hours to tell me that I was the next thing and that I wow. needed to write a book and I needed to have a podcast. And, I needed, and they just went through a list of things I needed to do and say, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And they said, because the world needs to hear from you. Because right now, you have a wisdom that is unique and is coming from a vantage point that no one else is coming from. And I remember all of that. My head was swimming a little bit. And I get in the car and, and my wife, Tammy, who you know dearly, who's, who's the godlier member of the, of the marriage between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was getting ready to start the car and she leaned over and she, she put her hand on my knee. And she said, before you start the car, I just want to say one thing. She said, if you ever decide to sell Jesus, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. Ooh. And I will tell you, that was a life-changing moment for me. It was Thank a moment you, that kind of wiped the cobwebs out of my mind and the sweetness of the words that had been said and my ego that had been stroked for the last two hours of how important I was. And it took me back to a place of where if I am not looking to give Jesus everything, yeah. And, to, and to let his praise be enough for Come me. Come on, Scott. I'm a dead man. Yeah. I'm a dead man walking. No matter how large or small the church is, no matter how large or small a platform that you have, whether you write books, whether you don't. And there's nothing wrong with writing books. And there's nothing wrong with doing any of these things. Yeah. It's entirely the heart behind why you're doing it. Yep. And when it's tied to privilege, this idea that somehow we are more special than the people we minister to. Yeah. That is deadly. Yeah. It is absolutely deadly. And honestly... It pokes at this notion that our identity isn't rooted in Jesus. Our identity is actually rooted in what we do mm -hmm. because that's the world. Yeah. Right. For guys like us, right. In the world, how much money you make, how many promotions you get, what your kids get to do, all of these things you, you are kind of like medals that we wear. Yeah. And it's not just, listen, I got a chance to do that. It's, it's, listen, I am that guy. And there's a part of all of us that just say, man, I want to be that guy. I feel that. And I've heard Darren Patrick, he's talked about this very yep. publicly, about how there came a point where he started, he really believed he was better than these people. And they kind of like, they owed it to him to serve him. So that, and, and, and we would all love to think, you know, by the time you, you know, you even become a, a leader, you're, you've outgrown that kind of stuff. But clearly we don't. Tell us more about that, that, that sense of entitlement, that like, what is the enemy convincing people of that they're like, hey, I'm actually kind of a big deal. And, and I'm glad people finally realize it. And, and people should serve me. And I get to go on the boat with the bikini girl or I get to, you know, do all these things that are they're just kind of ridiculous. How, yeah. how do they end up there? Why, why didn't they get stopped earlier? Yeah, I think there's it's a culture, right? Yeah. It's a culture of permission that, that creates a leader of privilege. And so leaders of privilege don't exist without a culture of permission. Yeah. Um, I was at a church in, in Virginia, probably, I don't know, a few years ago. And I was invited to come to one of the services and honestly just be a participant. Like I wasn't even doing anything, but I was in town and the guy said, hey, I heard you're in town. Why don't you come? So I said, sure. And I met at the front door uh, by these two wonderful young people who were on staff there. And they asked me for my keys to my car. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to go somewhere, right? Or get something. I'm like, sure, you can borrow it's a rental, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sure, here you go. And they said, hey, we want to park it in the private garage. And I'm like, really? Because I'm like, it's pretty good right there. And, you know, it's like a Prius or something. I mean, it's like, it's nothing huge. 
They say, yeah, so sure, here you go. And they, the other one escorts me to a private VIP room because I'm not going to be sitting in the congregation. I'm going to sit in a VIP room with some other people who are Christian elite in some way, shape, or form. And, I, and honestly, I'm pretty uncomfortable at this point. I'm thinking to myself, I really wanted to show up. I wanted to sit. I wanted to worship God. I wanted to hear from his word. I wanted to yeah, be able to be a Christian tonight. Yeah. And from there, the conversation went even farther. And I, and I realized as I had dinner with this guy, the things that he owned was huge to him. He talked to me about his motorcycles and his truck collection and his house and his jet skis and this and the planes, the private planes that he, that he charters. And in that, I mean, part of me was sitting there thinking, well, first of all, why are you telling me this? Like, I've never met you before in my life. Yeah, like, I yeah. have never, why are you telling me about your kids? Yeah. Why aren't you telling me about what God Come is on. doing in your church? Why aren't you telling me about the things you're excited about that you're reading or that, that God is doing in your life? And so often what we tell people about is what has captured our heart. Mm. And I, and as I'm letting him go, I'm realizing that there's a, that he's a prisoner of this. Yeah, that is huge. And so I asked him, I said, I just said, Hey, I come out here periodically. Would you ever have dinner again? And he said, yeah. And I thought my mission needs to be to help him get free. Yeah. And the next time I went, I didn't have my car parked there. Yeah. I didn't sit in a VIP place. I was in the lobby. I found people that looked like the least of these. Yeah. And I was praying for them. Adam. And I don't say that to make myself some super saint or anything, but it was intentional on my part to say, if I'm going to help this guy, I've got to show him something different. Yeah. And the, the conversation I had with him the next time I was there was, tell me what got you into ministry in the first place. Yeah. Because I was pretty sure it wasn't jet skis, motorcycles, yeah. and cars. And those are the types of things friends do. Yeah. Because we love each other and we care about each other. I don't want this guy to be a statistic. I don't want this guy to be throwaway. I don't want to see an entire church obsess over material things. Mm -hmm. I want to see them obsess over Jesus. Come on, man. That's so profound, just that what we talk about is what we love. Now, you've seen, so you've seen that when you've seen these different ones. Do you see any common denominator, Scott, between, you know, across, oh, even over years of time, like, what's everybody getting wrong? Is, is it just entitlement or are other things going wrong too? No, I think, yeah, there's, like I said, there's, there's a culture of permissiveness that, that allows this. For instance, there's a huge difference between accountability and transparency, okay. right? Like I can tell you I'm doing fine and I may even believe I'm doing fine, but unless you are actually getting visibility into my marriage, unless you're getting visibility into my finances, unless you're giving visibility into things, you don't really know, right? Until I commit to a lifestyle covenant as a leader that is putting me in, frankly, a much more accountable place just by the transparency it's providing. Like I normally don't travel alone. I, our board knows all my finances, not just what they pay me. Yeah. Any major decisions I, I let them look at. I think there's also a sense of boundaries. Like you and I were talking about this earlier, Mark. Boundaries are were cannot invoke here. Uh, prior to all these things, oddly enough, they're in vogue again. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It feels like that's a pretty good discussion to be having. But I think that that how we live our life really, really matters. And the cultures we create, do, do boards really have the ability to call us into question? Or do they really not? Yeah. Does the staff around us, are they so working for us that they're not really working with us? Yeah. And there's nobody that feels they have the permission or the courage to be able to say, I'm uncomfortable here. Yeah. 
This has made me uncomfortable. And if particularly high capacity staff don't have the ability to modify that culture, that's probably an indicator there's a worry sign here. Yeah, okay. And I think boards in general don't sign up to be a board to discipline a senior pastor. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. They do it because they want to help their church. They want to be people who are helping maybe apply some of the skills that they've acquired over life to do that. And they're uncomfortable because this person has the pulpit, and the, and the pulpit makes us larger than life. Yep, yep. I mean, we stand up every single week, and we get a chance to tell people what God says. Yep. And you're the mouthpiece for God. Yep. It's pretty hard to go to the mouthpiece for God and say, I'm not so sure you got this right. Yeah. No, that's that's true, bro. So we've got entitlement. We've got maybe some some boards or, or staff people that don't feel they have the courage or don't have the power or don't have the permission to correct some of this. So let's go back in time a little bit for some of these folks when they're sure. a little younger. What should they have done or, or what can they build in or because I think there is. There's the drug of my voice is the most powerful one in the room. There's the lust for stuff. And and even maybe even the idea of like I get to I get to be a Bible character now because I wield I'm like a Moses of sorts. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's all going wrong. What what's the heart battle that we need to fight just as a before I'm a Christian leader, before I'm I'm a, I'm a ministry leader, what's the heart battle I need to be fighting? just against the devil every day to stay out of those realms, or at least when I find myself in them to get out. What's he trying to tell me and how do I combat that? Yeah, man. And again, uh, you know, Mark, I think this is something that all of us need to pay attention to. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a set group of people who don't. Right. I mean, I put myself square in that crossroad. There's no way that, that this isn't an issue and this isn't something I need to think about all the time. And I think right there, that begins a difference. Yeah, uh, a yeah. lot of times the folks that I have seen really get into difficult circumstances don't think about it much. Yeah. And they're thinking about achievement and they're thinking about honestly maximizing their position in what they have. They're mm-hmm. not necessarily thinking about even does God want me to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And so the reality is like, what if God actually just wants you to be a loving human being, pastor the word really well and take care of the people he's given you? Yeah. Is that terrible? (laughs) You know know what I mean? Is that a horrible thing? No. That is an honorable way to live. And the vast majority of us who are going to take pastoral leadership positions, that's exactly what God is asking us to do. And it's a high calling. And it's a good calling. We don't have to write a book in order to feel good about ourselves. We should feel good about ourselves because Jesus loves us. Come on, man. I mean, and so I look at that. I think that's a start. Past that, I think there are moments when we start to believe that there is a path other than simplicity and humility. Mm. Yeah, that's deep too. And we say, I am going to be able to live large and still be like Jesus. Yeah, come on. Well, he didn't live large. Yep. What do you want to do with that? Right? Because, I mean, he didn't. And is that just some, is that an incidental or was that just one of those unique Jesus qualities? And then as soon as Jesus was gone, like the 12 lived really large. Yeah. No, they didn't. These guys lived, I think they had an abundance of what they needed in order to do what they needed to do. So I don't think they lived in poverty, but they didn't live in conspicuous luxury either. Yeah. And to somehow imagine that that's what God is looking for us to do, I just think you're on the wrong end of that. And the other part of that is humility. If I'm imagining I'm special or better than by comparison others, I just think that leads to pride. Yeah, man. That's and it leads there fast. 
Well, that is all the time we have with Pastor Scott today, but I hope you'll join us again in the next episode. If this content is helpful, don't forget to like and share, rate and review it. Now listen, it's so important that we lead from a flowing heart out of deep connection to the Word of God. As leaders, we can't experience very much of God's direction without keeping one eye on the road and one eye in the Bible. You're going to face challenges. Every leader does. We need you to lead strong and humble. Remember, Jesus is coming back with his reward, and it's going to be worth it. Lead strong today.